Hello. I would like to spend a few moments with you to talk a little bit about hypnosis and perhaps answer some questions that you may have. There are a lot of misconceptions about hypnosis that many people have, and part of my mission, in addition to helping people, is to clear up these misconceptions about hypnosis and to make people aware of the incredible transformational power of hypnosis and hypnotherapy. For you to understand how hypnosis works, it is very important for you to understand how your mind works. Many people never even think about how the mind works. Think of the mind as having three parts. The subconscious mind, the conscious mind, and the superconscious mind. They each do different things, but when you can get them to operate in harmony, you can accomplish, be, and do virtually anything from attracting abundance to healing yourself mentally, physically, and emotionally. For the purpose of discussing hypnosis, we will be focusing on the conscious mind and the subconscious mind. First, we will discuss the conscious mind. The conscious mind is where we spend most of our time. It is our analytical mind. It is the part of us that looks at problems, analyzes them, and figures out a way to solve the problems. It is also the part of us that makes the many decisions that we make during an average day. Decisions that we think are automatic, but in fact are not. Things like, should I open the window? Should I go to the store? What color shirt should I wear? We think that these are automatic functions, but we must make decisions as to whether or not we want to do these things. Now, the second part of the conscious mind is a part that starts to get us into trouble sometimes. We call this the rational part of our conscious mind. This part of us must give a reason for why we behave in a particular way. If we don't have a reason why we do the things that we do, we become anxious, nervous, frustrated, and if it goes on long enough, it can lead to serious mental illness. For example, mental hospitals are full of people who do things, and they don't know why they do them. The only problem with the reason that the rational mind may give us for why we behave in a certain way is because it is never original. For example, a smoker says that he smokes because it calms him, makes him feel relaxed, and gives him time to pause and gather his thoughts. An overweight person will say, I'm overweight because I eat when I'm bored, I eat when I'm nervous, or I have glandular problems. The problems with these reasons are that they are never original. Before the smoker developed the habit, he or she heard other people who smoked say, I smoke because it makes me feel calm and relaxed. Or he or she heard an overweight person say, I'm overweight because I eat when I'm nervous. The problem with this is that we know and understand the reason why people are smokers and why people are overweight. Generally, smokers start because of their need for security. They want to belong to another gang of friends, usually in their younger years, 
somewhere between the ages of 12 and 20. Security is a basic need for all human beings. We generally get all of the security that we need when we grow up in a nice family. However, usually at the age of 12 or 13, in that area, our parents don't seem as smart as they used to be, so we shut off our ability to gain security from them, and we find security by being part of a group of kids at school. Some of them smoke, and some of them don't. If we feel that we don't belong to this particular group, because our subconscious mind is a very interesting part of us, it must protect us against danger, and not getting the necessary security that we need is a definite danger to us. Frequently, it will say that smokers are accepted and secure. When this happens, the next time someone offers you a cigarette and you take it, immediately you feel like you are part of this group and your security level goes up. This is why people start smoking. It has nothing to do with being calm or being relaxed. You must understand that the reason the rational mind gives us for why we behave in a certain way is never original and almost always incorrect. The next part of the conscious mind is what we call willpower. We are all familiar with willpower. A person may say, I'm going to put down this pack of cigarettes and nothing on God's earth will make me start smoking again. Well, we all know how long this lasts. You also know that if you go on a diet, how long that lasts. It lasts until willpower weakens and then the old habit pattern comes back again. Another part of the conscious mind is what we call temporary memory. It's the memory we use every day. We use this memory to remember how to get to work, remembering your phone number, or remembering your husband's or wife's name. Things of this order. It's the memory that we need just to get through an average day. The next part of the mind that we will discuss will be the subconscious mind, which is just below the conscious mind. Now by below, I don't mean that it is any less important. In fact, the subconscious mind is awesomely powerful. It can make you into anything you would like to be. You can be rich, you can be famous, you can be thin or fat, happy or sad, etc. To understand how the subconscious mind works, you need to understand that it is very much like a computer and it operates like a computer operates. If you go by a computer and ask it a question, it will not be able to answer you. The reason is because at this point, the computer has no programming in it. A computer can only operate based on the programming that is placed in it, and it must operate on that programming. It has no choice. You know that if you change the programming in a computer that you bought in a store, it no longer can operate on the old programming, and it must operate on the new programming that has been placed into it. Well, this is the way that our subconscious mind works. It is a computer. It functions on the same rules and regulations as a regular computer, only it is much more powerful. We program our computer or subconscious mind every day of our lives through our life experiences. When we were born, our computers didn't have much programming. 
Every day we add programming to our internal computer. Now, the primary rule of our computer is this. It must make us into the type of person that it perceives us to be based on all of the programming that has been placed into it and will continue to be placed into it. For example, if that computer of ours, based on its programming, says that we are fat, then we are fat. If it says that we are thin, a smoker, a success or a failure, then that is what we are. It adds up all of the programming and makes a decision about us and about the type of person that we are. This programming has been placed in there from many sources and it must operate on this programming. A lot of this programming wasn't even done by us because we allowed others to program us from a young age with their beliefs, rules, and ideas about life and who we are. What is some of the operational software that is in this internal computer? First is all of our memory since the day we were born. We think of these things that have happened to us in the past as either forgotten or as retained in the form of memory. The subconscious mind is like a video camera. Everything that has ever happened to you, anything that you have heard, seen, smelled, or tasted, is locked permanently in the memory banks of your subconscious mind. You never forget anything. If there is a reason to, in hypnosis, we can access that memory bank and it seems like we can actually travel back in time. For example, in regression hypnosis, we can travel back and relive your first birthday or even your birth. Now, this is much more than recall. It is actually like you were there, like it is happening all over again. You can see what happened. You can smell. You can taste. You can hear very clearly. We never forget anything in the subconscious, only at the conscious level. The second programming that we have in the inner mind, the subconscious mind, is habits. You have three kinds of habits. You know that you have good habits, and you know that you have bad habits. Don't we all? But really, most of our habits aren't good or bad. Most of our habits are utilitarian habits. We automatically respond in a certain way when something else happens. For example, when the phone rings, we don't look at it and wonder what it is. We automatically answer it, and depending on our mood, we answer it in a certain manner. The next things in our subconscious mind are emotions. We wouldn't want to be without our emotions, like love and joy, but sometimes our emotions get us into trouble. The conscious mind can't deal with emotions. Anytime we need emotions, our conscious mind parts like the Red Sea, and we deal with this particular situation from our subconscious mind. Many times in the past, you have dealt with situations and they didn't even have to have a lot of emotion, just a little. Then, after the situation was over, the analytical conscious mind took over again, and you heard yourself thinking or saying something like, Why did I say that? Why did I do that? It was so stupid. This has happened to all of us at one time or another. The next thing that the subconscious mind does, and probably the most important part, is that it is our protective mind. It must protect us against danger 
real or imagined. Let me repeat that. It must protect us against danger, real or imagined. Something imagined by the subconscious mind is just as real as if it were actually happening. It can't tell the difference and it must protect us against danger. The next part of the subconscious mind is a negative part of us. Although the subconscious mind is awesomely powerful, it is also lazy. It doesn't like to do the work that is required to accept positive suggestions to give us change in areas where we would like to have change. It likes to keep things the way that they are because it takes too much work to make change in a positive way. Positive suggestions are one of the most difficult things to get into our subconscious minds. On the other hand, negative suggestions go into the subconscious mind like a hot knife through butter because it doesn't take any work to accept a negative suggestion. Let me show you how this works. You take a very heavy person and they get out of the shower. They're standing in front of the mirror, toweling off, and as they look into the mirror they say, Boy, I am fat. Now that idea or thought goes right into the subconscious mind, and the subconscious mind says, Yes, that matches the programming that I have in here. That matches the perception of you. Therefore, it accepts that suggestion, so the perception of that individual being fat becomes stronger and they become heavier. On the other hand, if you take the same heavy person and they stand in front of the mirror and they say, I'm thin, I'm trim, and I'm attractive. That goes to the subconscious mind and the subconscious mind says, no, that does not match the programming and it is not allowed in. How do we get positive suggestions into the subconscious mind? It is important for you to understand this. If an idea, thought, or a concept is allowed to go into the subconscious mind, it must happen. You are changing the programming and the subconscious or inner mind must respond to the new programming. However, it is not that easy. Let me explain how it works. You make a decision to stop smoking. You make your mind up at the conscious level that nothing in the world is going to stop you from ending the smoking habit. Your conscious mind says, that's wonderful and I support you 100%. You are going to be healthier. You are not going to get emphysema or heart disease. But, to have change effectively happen, you have to get it down into your computer, your subconscious mind, in order to change the programming. Then you say, fine, and you start to send the idea down into the subconscious mind. However, there is a problem. There is one more part of the conscious mind that I haven't told you about yet. I want you to think of this part of your conscious mind as an employee of the subconscious mind. Its job is to stop and put on hold any suggestions of positive change that we give ourselves or receive from an outside source. It stops it. Then, in a way that we don't understand, but we know that it happens, there is a communication between this part of us which is called the critical factor of the conscious mind. The critical factor says, Well, this person wants to stop smoking. 
can I let this suggestion in? Now remember, if the suggestion goes into the subconscious mind, it must happen. But the subconscious mind says, Wait a minute, he's been smoking for 20 years. He needs cigarettes for security. Or whatever reason that there may be for that person. Then it says, Beside that, do you realize that I have to do so many years of reprogramming and I just don't feel like doing it? I don't want to do it. Reject the suggestion. Well, that's the critical factor's boss. So the critical factor of the conscious mind kind of turns into a mirror and rejects that suggestion and it cannot go into the subconscious mind. The place the idea then goes to is to willpower, which is part of the conscious mind. We all know how long willpower lasts. How many diets have we been on, and how many times have we tried to quit smoking? Well, how do we get suggestions into the subconscious mind? A very fast and effective way is something called hypnosis. Hypnosis bypasses the critical factor, which is the blocking part of the conscious mind. It is like giving it a few dollars and sending it out for ice cream, and we will tell it when to come back. Now, this is what most people who are ignorant of hypnosis think hypnosis really is. If this was all that hypnosis was, then some of the stories that you may have heard about hypnosis might be true. Things like, I can control you, or I can make you do anything that I want, and you can't do anything about it. If this was all that hypnosis was, then that would be true. However, we are not that vulnerable. When you are in a state of hypnosis, it is not what you expect it to be. Our bodies, if we are using a relaxation type of hypnosis, are very relaxed, but the more we go into hypnosis, the more our conscious mind becomes alert. In the deeper levels of hypnosis, your conscious mind is 2 to 300% more alert than you are at this very moment. All of your five senses are more sensitive also. Now this is extremely important. When you are in hypnosis, you are not asleep. You are extremely alert, probably more alert and clear-minded than you have ever been before. The important thing to understand about this is that the conscious mind takes on a different role when you are in hypnosis. I want you to think of it as playing the role of the guardian of the gates, which are protecting you. When you receive a suggestion in hypnosis, you hear it loud and clear. When you hear a suggestion with your conscious mind while in hypnosis, you make one of four decisions about that suggestion. The decision that you make determines whether or not that suggestion is allowed to enter your subconscious mind. If it is allowed to enter, you will have the change that you want to achieve. If it is rejected, then there will be no change. What are the four decisions or choices? The first one could be, when you hear the suggestion, you think or say to yourself something like, I like that suggestion and I know that it is going to work. This mental attitude at the conscious level allows that suggestion to go into your subconscious mind or your computer and change begins. Unfortunately, you have three other choices. The next choice could be that the suggestion sounds uncomfortable to you 
and if this happens, it is automatically blocked by the conscious mind and it is not allowed to enter your computer or subconscious mind. The next choice could be that you are neutral about the suggestion. You don't care if you get it or not. It is kind of a meaningless suggestion to you. If this happens, the conscious mind automatically blocks that suggestion and it can't get to your subconscious mind. The last choice that you have is probably the choice that causes most people to fail with hypnosis if they do fail. When you hear the suggestion and you think or say to yourself, I like that suggestion and I hope that it works. The word hope is like using the word try and try means automatic failure. If you say hope or try, the suggestion will be blocked by the conscious mind and it is not allowed to enter the subconscious and then there will be no change. You need to say, I am going to do it and not, I hope to do it or I will try to do it. If you eliminate the words hope and try from your personal and professional vocabulary from this moment on, within a week, you are going to feel better than you have felt in a long time. The only time a suggestion is allowed to go into your computer or subconscious mind is if you take the mental attitude when you hear the suggestion, I like that suggestion and I know that it is going to work. That is how easy it is. A professional hypnotist is really a guide. The hypnotist doesn't have any special secret powers that he or she uses to control or manipulate you. Much of the success depends on you, your mental attitude, and your willingness to change and accept suggestion. If you will allow me to be your guide, I will show you how to place yourself into a beautiful state of hypnosis, feeling the physical relaxation and mental alertness. If you allow me to be your guide, I will show you how to stay there until we are finished. If you don't want to be in this beautiful and relaxed state, then the slightest thought by you, and it's over, and you are back to your normal state of awareness. However, if you follow my guidance, I will show you how to stay there. The most important thing of all is that if you accept the suggestions given to you with the correct mental attitude, which is, I like it and I know that it is going to work, then you will have change in the way that you want it. If you take one of the other choices or mental attitudes, then you will fail. I can't force a suggestion into your mind. Only you can allow it to happen. Hypnosis is a 100% consent state by you. You must allow things to happen. You can stop them from happening with the slightest thought if you don't want them to happen. Now, I want you to understand that anyone, as long as their IQ is above 70 and they want hypnosis, can go into a very deep level of hypnosis. How fast? Just like that. The only thing that keeps a person from going into that beautiful state of physical relaxation and mental alertness is if they have a fear or a misconception about what hypnosis really is, and I would like to talk briefly about some of the more common fears and misconceptions about hypnosis. 
Some people are afraid that they won't wake up from hypnosis. And that is true. I agree with that. I have never known anyone to wake up from hypnosis. You see, there is only one thing that you can wake up from, and that is sleep. If you are not asleep, you can't wake up. Semantics, yes, but we use words in our profession. The term to use is emerge from hypnosis. Anytime you would want to emerge from hypnosis, all you have to do is have the slightest thought that you don't want to be in this relaxed state anymore, and instantly it's over and you are back to your normal awareness. Then there is that powerful misconception that some people have that says, I can control you and make you do anything I want you to do. I wish that was true, because then I could guarantee you success. But remember, you have those four choices when you hear a suggestion, and that the only time the suggestion is allowed to enter your computer or subconscious mind is if you say, I like it, I know it is going to work. I can't force that in. I can't control you. I want you to know that you and you alone are responsible for your success. You and you alone are responsible for your failure. The mental attitude that you take when you hear a suggestion determines success or failure. Some people have the misconception that they will tell me all of their deep, dark secrets when they are in hypnosis. For the same reasons of mental alertness, you are more in control of anything you choose to do or say while you are in hypnosis than you are right now. If you don't want to tell me something, then you won't. If I was to ask you for information that was none of my business, you would simply tell me that it is none of my business. No one can make you divulge information that is proprietary. As a matter of fact, if I wanted that kind of information from you, I would have a much better chance of obtaining it now in your normal conscious awareness, because right now you are mentally dull compared to your mental capabilities when you are in hypnosis. Some people say, wait a minute, I hear what you are saying, but I have seen stage hypnotists work, and I have seen them control people. I've seen them make people bark like dogs. Well, let me tell you how that works. When a stage hypnotist comes to town, there is advertising and a lot of people are interested, so they show up. They want to see the show, and a lot of them would like to be volunteers as subjects for the stage hypnotist. Now, when the stage hypnotist comes out, he gives a little speech on hypnosis, saying that he is showing the entertainment side of hypnosis, and there is a clinical side. He tells the people, you know, this whole show depends on you, the audience. You're the people that I need for the show. And he asks people, is there anybody here who will volunteer to come up on stage? Well, you would be amazed on how many hands go up. But that stage hypnotist does not necessarily take those people. He tells those people, you know, really good subjects are those individuals who have the best ability to imagine, a wonderful imagination and the ability to concentrate. And he says he will give the whole audience a test for imagination and concentration. 
he is kind of telling a little fib, for he is testing the audience to find out two very important things. First, he is trying to find out who goes into hypnosis like this. He has a stage show to put on. He can't waste time with long hypnotic techniques. More importantly, he is testing those people to find out who wants to have fun and who is uninhibited in public. These are the people he invites up on the stage. They usually enter hypnosis very rapidly and very easily. Those people, when they hear the suggestion, because they want to have fun, take the mental attitude, I like it and I want it to work, and it does. Stage hypnosis operates by the same rules as clinical hypnosis. You always have the choice as to whether or not you want that suggestion. If you don't want it, truthfully don't want it, it will be rejected, and there will be no change. So now you see, hypnosis is up to you. If you accept the suggestions with the correct mental attitude of, I like it, I know it will work, then you will have 100% success. If you accept with any other ideas, you will fail. It is up to you. I would like to thank you for taking the time to listen. You now know the truth about hypnosis, and you have all of the information that you need to take the next step. However, it is up to you to follow through if you want positive and permanent change in any area of your life. Please visit our online store for our incredible transformational hypnosis CDs and downloads. For live one-on-one -on -one appointments, contact me directly. Be well and have a great day.